0: Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah Stremming, the Cog Dog Coach, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I cover behavior concepts, discuss training ideas, interview experts, and explore my cases, all regarding the dogs we live and play with. Let's go. Hey, friends. This week we are going to talk through what to do when your puppy or adolescent dog has a meltdown. Unfortunately, this is a when question, not an if question. And so hopefully my guidance and my recent experience with my six-month-old puppy, Carson, can offer some help. So what's a meltdown look like? A meltdown that I'm talking about is the puppy gets freaked out about something. They are maybe barking and lunging at something. They're maybe trying to run away, but they... They just get freaked out, they get afraid, they get triggered and they act in ways that you maybe haven't seen yet up until this point, certainly in ways you don't want them to act going forward. So the first question you're gonna ask is, is this scenario actually safe? So you're the human, you're the one with the giant frontal lobe, you get to decide if the scenario is safe or not. And by safe, I mean nobody is going to be harmed. Your puppy is not going to be harmed in the scenario, you're not going to be harmed, and your puppy's also not causing any damage or harm to anyone else. That's what I'm going to define as safe. Because if the scenario is not safe, the best thing for you to do is to get out of it. You scoop up your puppy or if they're too big for that, you take them by the collar or use whatever means necessary to simply extract them from the situation. Do not try to work through it. You won't be able to offer them enough freedom to do so effectively and just get out of dodge. You know, an example might be that your puppy is barking and lunging at a neighbor dog that is barking and lunging as well at their chain link fence that you don't trust. And the fence is looking more and more fragile with each lunge from that neighbor dog, you probably wanna get out of that situation, just scoop up the puppy and leave. Another good example might be that children have kind of bombarded your puppy. Maybe you were in the park and three kids came running over with their hands out and the puppy freaked out. Best thing to do is simply to get out of there, unless these are kids that you can communicate with to stop in their tracks and give your puppy some space immediately. In the case that happened at an agility trial that I was at this weekend, a person was innocently warming up at their car. So the person was doing leg swings and kind of stretches and things like that, getting their human body ready to run the course. And Carson was walking around with me at the grounds. She saw this person doing that. She immediately planted backwards into her back legs, um, into her safety legs, so bracing into those back legs haired up, raised all of her hackles like a hyena, and emitted kind of a very serious alarm bark type of sound. This is part of having an adolescent brain. I am not worried that Carson will now be quote-unquote reactive towards people warming up in parking lots. That's not a helpful way for us to think about adolescents or puppies. Instead, I accept that her adolescent brain was not able to process what she was seeing appropriately and it told her to overreact. This is a really normal part of growing up and it's really important that you're ready for it and that you don't also freak out because as I like to say, only one of you is allowed to be a shit show. So in that situation though, everything is safe. Everything's fine. That person actually just kept working out completely unaware of the fact that my puppy was barking at them they didn't have any idea that that barking was about them and they wouldn't have had any cause to we were reasonably far away and we're at a dog show there's lots of dog sounds going on love that the person kept doing what they were doing. They didn't change. They didn't try to approach my puppy or quote unquote, make it better. They didn't do anything like that. They just kept doing what they were doing. And that allowed me a great opportunity to just allow Carson to process her feelings. So if you've ascertained that the scenario is safe, the next thing you want to ask is what skills do I think the dog can access right now? Probably the answer in the initial few moments is gonna be none, zero skills. But I would beg to differ. I think while they may not be able to do a sit or a down or a nose target, they might have the skill of eating. They might have the skill of breathing with you or, or following you as you move. And so broadening your definition of skills is a good idea here. So the first thing I did in this scenario was I turned my body so that my feet were sort of suggesting that we could move away from that thing if we need to. And then the next thing I did is I put some food on the ground. I did not try to feed Carson to her mouth. I put a bunch of food on the ground. I said scatter and I put food on the ground. Carson ate the scatter, but she was barking in between eating pieces of food. And so a dog with kind of Lesser food interest or lesser food skills might have ignored the scatter for the time being and kept barking. And for that dog, I might keep dropping food or I might suggest harder that we uh, turn away from the thing. But I'm also pretty comfortable letting puppies bark in process. As soon as the behaviors I was seeing were slightly less freaked out, slightly more relaxed, Don't get me wrong, still a little bit freaked out, but just moving in the right direction. I moved towards actually cueing Carson to eat a single piece of food off the ground instead of just continuing to refill her scatter. And what that does is allows me an opportunity to select behaviors and pay for them, but also it produces a loop of reinforcement that wasn't there before. So I'm kind of superimposing a new contingency, which is that you can can look at the thing and then you can eat food and then you can look at the thing or you can breathe or you can look at me. I'm not interested here in shaping any specific behavior. What I'm interested in is getting my dog involved in a new loop of reinforcement. And the whole time I'm watching her body make the choice to move away or towards the trigger. And again, I have moved my feet. I've moved them kind of neutrally. So I am actually facing, you know, if the trigger's at 12 o'clock, I'm facing 9 o'clock. So I could go either direction here. I'm watching my puppy. I'm watching her feet and her choices. I see a moment where she chooses to move away. And as soon as she does... I move quickly with her in a new direction. Why quickly? Because moving fast tends to kind of shift um, her emotional valence the way that I like, which is a, a totally different topic. But essentially a lot of dogs like to move quickly. If your dog doesn't, if your dog is more of a saunterer in general, then don't, don't move super fast. So I moved away. And when she shifted and turned and wanted to look at the trigger again, I allowed her to. And then that time she was able to access even more skills. She very quickly offered me a relaxed down. And that's how I knew that we were pretty much ready to dismiss this thing. And we were able to really kind of walk towards it. And as we walked towards it, I was watching to make sure that she had truly dismissed it. And again, it being this person that was warming up and the person was still warming up. And over the span of two minutes, we went from full blown freaking out to walking straight past the trigger and getting to say hi to some of her friends. That's a specific account, and I'm going to put that video over in the membership for uh, my members of the CogDog Classroom. I happen to be walking with a friend who whipped out her camera and filmed this interaction, so you will all get to see it, and you'll kind of see how I process it. But back to those kind of bullet points that you can take home. One is always, is the situation safe? Two is what skills does the dog have? Three is I'm going to shift my body so that we can move towards or away, whichever you would like. And then I'm going to engage the dog in the skills that they do have, which may just be eating or may just be being held by the collar, may just be me kneeling next to them and kind of patting their side. Anything the puppy has seen before can do in that moment is fine. When the puppy chooses to move away, you're going to go with them. Or if the puppy chooses to move towards, and again, they are genuinely safe, you can go with them that direction too. Typically, after moving away, I'll let the puppy turn back and process some more. And I'm looking for a true dismissal moment. I am not looking to override the dog's interest in the thing with food. In fact, if eating food is the skill I've chosen to access in the first place, I'm also looking to see the dog offer me higher level skills, like offering that settled down, offering eye contact, before I'm going to ask the dog to truly dismiss the thing. So as we've kind of climbed the ladder to... Now I can offer you higher level skills Then now I can move past or even potentially towards in order to get past the trigger, watching the dog the whole time to see what their choices are in their feet. If they're shifting their body away, I'm going with them. If they are choosing to stop, I'm also stopping. And then I'm always looking for what's the thing in this environment that I know my dog can feel optimistic about or feel happy about even and can i get them towards that thing once we have dismissed the trigger so again i'm not trying to override their feelings about the trigger with the thing they're happy about i'm trying to get a true dismissal and then get them to a happy place in my scenario Luckily, some friends of Carson showed up at a really opportune moment and kind of right as she was dismissing the trigger, I was able to cue her to go visit her friends, which is something that she feels really good and positive about. If she had not yet dismissed the trigger, she would have potentially freaked out again after visiting her friends because she was still near the trigger. And so watching for that true dismissal is a really important part. I hope this was helpful It is not lost on me how much nuance is here, which is why I'm gonna put that video in the membership. And I do hope that when your puppy or adolescent has a meltdown, you don't also have a meltdown and you can support them through it. Okay, and a couple of Patreon questions. The first one comes from Zoe. Zoe has two questions for us. The first is as I learn more and more from your podcast, webinars, etc., I find myself getting overwhelmed. I feel like every single time I go out or do anything with my dogs, I'm hyper aware of how everything I do reinforces or doesn't their behavior. How do you, as someone who knows even more than I do, manage that? I'm going to answer that one first, Zoe. I commiserate with this. I felt this really strongly 15 years ago when I was raising my puppy Iggy, and now. I recognize that there are a lot of paths to reinforcement. The best thing that I can do is kind of control what I can control and let go of what I can't. I also want my dog to access reinforcement other places than me. I am not here to brainwash them into thinking that I do cause everything great in the world. So while I am carefully curating their experiences to produce behaviors that I like, I'm also allowing them to find reinforcement in their daily lives, in their daily interactions. And I'm not too stressed about that. Next one from Zoe is, I need to watch the I don't a webinar, but I'm working hard on loose leash walking based on your two podcasts about it. My puppy is getting better, but is it realistic or okay to ask him to walk on a loose leash every single time we go out? Because we're in an apartment, this can be up to six to seven times per day for at least five minutes at a time. Just wondering if that's too much to ask. Feel free to tell me to get my act together and watch the webinar if the question is answered there. Zoe, I do think the question is answered over there, and so I encourage you to watch the webinar, but if you can't insist on loose leash walking, you should use a device that is different from what you will expect the puppy to walk on. So if I wanna think about other things than loose leash walking, I'm probably gonna use a front connection harness or something like that to help the dog not pull. While I don't want to work on it, but yes, having a leash attached to them that is attached to you is a big fat cue. And so being consistent with your expectations in relation to that cue is a really important thing to be doing. Okay. And the next one this week comes from Nicole. Nicole writes, my nine-year-old Pyrenees border collie mix is an adult rescue that has moved with me to several cities and loves learning. She's a smart and calm dog who's risen on many occasions to exhibit grace in circumstances that would be challenging for many dogs. That said, I've recently been struggling with a medical issue which has thrown our routines out the window. I'm going to be okay and have surgery scheduled for later this week, but my pup has started to show guarding tendencies that I'm worried about how to manage while I recover. Normally a very quiet dog, she now trigger barks every night and does a perimeter check before settling. We're currently staying with family for the extra support, and though everyone has affectionately been calling this bark o'clock, her nighttime guard duties are keeping everyone up. More importantly, she's occasionally growled or whined at family if they enter the bedroom while I'm resting, often maneuvering herself between me and them, or even jumping up on the bed to lay on top of me. My relatives are doing their best to adjust to her sudden vigilance. I've started to stockpile Kongs in the freezer, but otherwise feeling limited physically and mentally. Any suggestions to help us all on our road to recovery would be really appreciated. So Nicole, first of all, I'm so sorry that you're going through all of this sounds like you have great support and sounds like you're going to be all right, but we do have to get your dog through this too. The dog is nine years old and these are big behavior changes for a nine year old. I think you're right. This is probably fully related to your health problems, but you want to make sure that the dog isn't having health problems either. So basically If you haven't had a recent full vet check, it's something that I would get on the books um, as soon as you are able to. And then other than that, I would be having your family members engage in routines with the dog that are based in positive reinforcement. So they should be armed with treat pouches, cheese, hot dogs, whatever. They should be asking her to get off the bed and go to a station when they come in the bedroom. Basically, she should have a bed in there that they can ask her to go to. You can even have a cookie jar that's hanging out near the bed that she always gets cookies for going on that bed when they come in. So build kind of those positive reinforcement routines of here's what I need you to do. And here's, I'm going to pay you for doing it. That's going to be really, really important. As far as the nighttime stuff, if you've got Bark O'Clock, if you pretty much know when this might be happening. That's when I would preempt with the Kong. I would say, hey, instead of doing your bark a clock, why don't you have a Kong in that place? And you can kind of give that a try. Best of luck, Nicole. I hope that this is all behind you very soon. And that is it for this week. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash CogDogRadio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.